on a Sunday dedicated to celebrating the reign of Christ. It is tempting to think we are simply looking forward to that day when the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. While his kingdom has yet to reach its fulfillment, Christ is not an absent king and his reign is not just a future possibility. That's the Reverend Max Vincent, and today he shares an inspiring message of faith called The Present King. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. I'm your guest host, Dalton Rushing, and today on day one, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Max O. Vincent, senior pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. He came to Johns Creek last summer after serving as the senior pastor of St. James United Methodist Church in Atlanta. Max is a graduate of Wofford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and earned his MDiv degree at Duke University Divinity School as well as a Master of Theology degree. For four years, he was a chaplain at the Shepherd Center in Atlanta. He's the author of Because of This I Rejoice and Good News of Great Joy. Max, welcome to day one. Thanks, Dalton. I'm delighted to be here. Max, you're only a few months in as senior pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church. So what have you learned so far about this thriving church north of Atlanta? What are you and your members up to there? Johns Creek is an exciting place to be right now. We have a congregation that's diverse in terms of age, families, a lot of excitement with our children right now. We've grown in the last year in that area in particular, and Mm -hmm. it's fueling a lot of excitement across the life of the congregation. Johns Creek is in some ways a relatively new city. How would you describe the community around you, and how does the church seek to serve your neighbors. One of the things that interested me, really surprised me when I went to Johns Creek, was the diversity in the community. The neighborhood where my wife and I live, there's a third that are Indian Mm. or Indian American, and then about a third that are Asian Americans, Mm. and the rest of the people in our community are a mixture of white and African-American families. Mm. That was not what I thought, and Mm. I was wonderfully surprised in that way. At the church, we see that diversity in our preschool. Okay, It's not in our worship life and other areas. We do have a Korean congregation Mm. in our church. community of faith as well. Uh, But it's one of the things we're looking at, that uh, how can we be more intentional and be in a community of faith for the community around us, which is more diverse than what we're seeing on Sunday morning? You've had some interesting international experiences over the years. During college, you spent a summer working on an archaeology site in Israel. During seminary, you visited Syria, Jordan, Israel, and Greece, and you studied theology for a year at the University of Bonn, Germany. How have these experiences helped to form you as a minister today? 
part of my interest in international travel and, and study was to learn how the way I live out my faith mm. is structured by where I grew up. Mm. When I was in Germany, I was working at a church just off of the university campus and arrived late August. I think I arrived on a Friday afternoon and got settled. Saturday, I explored the city of Bonn a little bit, mm -hmm. found the university, and found the church, and decided Sunday morning I'd show up for worship. And so, like a good Southern United Methodist, I left where I was living about 10.30. It was about a 15-minute walk, got to the church about 10.45, and started to go up the steps, and the doors opened. Mm. And a flood of people started leaving the sanctuary. And I thought, what, what's going on here? Mm. Something, and I realized the church service was ending. They were being mm. dismissed. And that was the first time I looked at the marquee and saw that worship was at 10 o'clock. Mm. And I thought, who are these strange people that don't <laughs> worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? <laughs> Even visiting the Holy Land, uh, Greece or Syria, and seeing how Orthodox Christians or uh, Palestinian Christians live out their their life in those communities. I always come back in some way thinking, what about my practice of faith is really rooted in the gospel? Mm -hmm. And what is just because of the culture that I find myself in? Max, you've been a non-scientific community member of the Sterling International Review Board for several years now, which sounds fascinating. What does that involve? The Review Board is looking at a lot of those clinical trials. When you mm. hear of a new medicine or uh, assistive device that comes out and uh, some of the, the warnings that go into that, it's, it's the studies before that's released to the public, and we're reviewing those to see uh, what are possible dangers, what are mm -hmm. the precautions they're taking. As a non-scientific community member, when I was recruited, one of the people interviewing me said, your expertise is you have no expertise. <laughs> and I said, I'm your guy. I'm, <laughs> I'm your guy. I sit in those boards, and my job is if I were sitting in a doctor's office and this study was presenting to me, would I feel like I had the information I needed? Would I feel like, uh, in light of what the scientific members have told me are some of the possible dangers, that's been explained and expressed to people? You've written several books, including Because of This I Rejoice, a Lenten devotional focusing on the epistle to the Philippians and Another Bead, Another Prayer, which you wrote with your wife, Kristen Vincent, offering devotions for using Protestant prayer beads. And you also wrote a book of Advent meditations called Good News of Great Joy. Since we're entering the season of Advent next Sunday, help us prepare for that. How do you approach Advent personally, and how will your church experience this season of spiritual preparation? One of the things I've learned about myself is my devotional life and spiritual life is very attuned to the liturgical year. Mm. When I was a chaplain at Shepherd Center, that was one of the things 
I struggled with at times. I enjoyed the patients and the families there. We had a weekly chapel service, but I lost touch with some of the liturgical flow mm. and took up some of the devotional resources that are geared towards the lectionary at that time to put myself back in that that rhythm. Mm. And Advent, for me, it's a time of hope, expectation, mm. and the older I get, I think it's one of the seasons I, I long for and mm. look for. Our world is a world longing for hope yeah. a lot of times, and um, what a time to be in the church where we can offer some real hope in a world where many feel like their hopes have um, been disillusioned. Mm. So how did your call to the ordained ministry come about for you? <laughs> My father was a United Methodist pastor, and I kind of grew up doing things in the church, and the more things I did, I became the youth president when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I got to assist my father in worship, reading call to worships and sometimes leading prayers mm -hmm. in worship. And the more I tried, the more I was intrigued. There was a part of me also that probably just wondered what my dad did the other six days of the week. Hmm. I, I knew he was busy, and I knew people uh, appreciated him and uh, talked about times in their lives when he provided comfort and support. So when I was in high school, I became a certified lay speaker hmm. and um, started speaking in some churches. My dad pastored a lot of rural congregations. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, he was pastor of four churches. The church I joined had worship services twice a month. Mm. I joined it because I could go to church 26 Sundays a year and have perfect attendance. <laughs> they learned I was a certified lay speaker and said, would you do services the other two Sundays <laughs> a month? I was 16 years old, and I didn't know better, so I said yes and started leading worship there and just loved it. Mm -hmm. I actually did that in that congregation uh, through my last two years of high school and college. Wow. I would come back every other weekend and lead a worship service for them. And just, again, the more I did it, the more I felt this is what God wants me to do and uh, was excited to learn more about it. Hmm. As the church celebrates the reign of Christ this Sunday— your sermon focuses on the gospel text from Matthew 25. Would you read it for us? I will. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
When was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, When was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we have the sheep and the goats being sent to their eternal destiny in this passage. And Jesus explains pretty clearly what separates the two. What struck you from this text as you prepared your sermon? The shock, the Mm -hmm. surprise of both groups. Mm -hmm. You may expect the the goats to be surprised. Mm -hmm. They're they're getting the punishment here. Mm -hmm. But even the righteous, the, the sheep, Lord... When did we see you? When did we do this to you, for you? That's what really struck me as I was reading this text for this sermon. Max, we look forward to hearing your message on this. It's called The Present King. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Max Vincent, with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it from our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110. The first movie I remember seeing in a theater was The Sword in the Stone, the Disney version of the King Arthur tales. The movie created a fascination for me with the stories of Arthur, the legendary king of England. I wanted to know about his sword, Excalibur, and the Knights of the Round Table. This happened long before the days of the internet and search engines, so I consulted our family's encyclopedia to learn bits and pieces of information about Arthur. My father eventually gave me a copy of T.H. White's The Once and Future King. White shares stories about how Arthur found Excalibur, the round table, the knights who joined Arthur, and the quest for the Holy Grail. At this point in my own Arthurian quest, most of this was not new information for me. White's text organized things I had learned in bits and pieces and related them in a way that started to fit the pieces together. What intrigued me most about White's book was the title, 
the once and future king. In the middle of the book's second part, White explains that this is the inscription on Arthur's tombstone. The inscription points to the hope that one day Arthur, or at least someone with Arthur's sense of justice and equality, will return to restore the days of Arthur's Camelot. Over time, I lost interest in the Arthur stories and assumed that all the legends and myths faded from my memory. But sometimes words and phrases get imprinted in our lives and seep out in other places. One day, I was reading this text from Matthew's Gospel and realized I had held on to that inscription, the once and future king. In my mind, I had translated that from Arthur to Jesus. I was thinking of Jesus as the idealized king who once came to Galilee and preached about the reign of God. After his death and resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven, and good Christians are just waiting for him to return one day and fully realize that reign he had proclaimed in Galilee so many centuries ago. Jesus the once and future king. On a Sunday dedicated to celebrating the reign of Christ, a Sunday placed at the end of the liturgical calendar, it is tempting to think we are simply looking forward to that day when the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. This parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25 challenges that view of the reign of Christ. It speaks about the presence of Christ here and now. While his kingdom has yet to reach its fulfillment, Christ is not an absent king and his reign is not just a future possibility. At first glance, this text points us to the future king. The scene is the final judgment when the nations will be brought to Christ and separated into the blessed and the cursed, the sheep and the goats but the judgment is based on how these people encountered Christ before this event. Six actions are mentioned as what separates the sheep from the goats. Feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming strangers, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting prisoners. These are acts of comfort and support for the poor and vulnerable. There are actions so simple that almost anyone can do them. However, as the judgment discloses, not all of us do. The goats are cursed for not engaging in these activities. What we sometimes miss in this story is the shock. Both groups, the sheep who get rewarded and the goats who get punished, are shocked to hear that they have or have not offered such comfort to Jesus. The king tells the sheep, Blessed are you, for when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you comforted me. When I was in prison, you visited me. These sheep do not rush off to their inheritance. Instead, they stop and ask, Lord, when did we ever do that? Later, we hear a similar litany between the king and the goats, only this time they are judged for not doing these acts. They are just as surprised as the sheep 
They ask, Lord, when did we ever see you in these situations? The shocked sheep and the baffled goats receive a similar response. I was present in the least of these. When you did these acts to the least of these, you did it to me. When you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it for me. John Wesley has a sermon based on part of this text entitled, On Visiting the Sick. Most of the sermon is about as exciting as you would imagine given that title. Few Methodists even know of this sermon, and fewer still bother to read it after seeing the title. While published as a sermon, the material is more like a training pamphlet for how to visit the sick. Wesley advises on what to say and how to greet the sick, how long to visit, and how to offer prayers for them. He has a section on who should participate in this activity, and his answer is all. He counters objections that the rich might have, the young, the aged, men, and women. Why does Wesley go through all of this? Why does he take the time to create a manual for visiting the sick and answering objections to participating in this ministry? In the opening paragraphs, Wesley says, this is a means of grace. Means of grace are ways we encounter God, ways God's grace is channeled into our lives. Wesley fears that many of us seeking God's guidance and presence have a limited view of the means of grace. Often, we turn to what Wesley calls works of piety, worship, reading scripture, and prayer. These are places we expect to encounter God. Wesley says, God has also promised encounters when we engage in works of mercy like those mentioned in Matthew 25. I don't know how or why I ever stumbled across that sermon from Wesley, but when I read the opening sections, I had two strong reactions. The first was he changed my understanding of what it means to engage in such acts of mercy. Somewhere, I adopted the mindset that I was supposed to do these acts because I needed to take Christ to the poor, unfortunate people, as if I had some excess amount of Christ I needed to bring to the world. Wesley turns these actions into part of our growth in grace. He says, you need to do such activities, hoping to encounter Christ through the people you serve. The second response I had was an aha moment. I suddenly understood an emotion I had often struggled to describe after going on a mission trip or visiting someone in the hospital. Others have struggled to express what I often sense as a similar feeling. The words I settled on to try and describe my experience were, I received so much more than what I gave. Now when I sense something like this, I stop and pray, Lord, did I just see you? The shock, the surprise of the sheep, and the 
bewilderment of the goats, are what jump out of this text for me as we celebrate the reign of Christ. Do I still subconsciously reduce that reign to future glory and miss the present implications of his reign? Am I missing encounters with the king present among us now? I pray the shock of the sheep seeps into me the way Arthur's inscription once did, and I start to encounter the world, expecting signs of Christ's presence. This Sunday ends one liturgical year. We prepare to turn the page on a new church year. Cue up Advent, and let's start the journey towards Christmas. I love Christmas Eve worship services. There's nothing like a crowded sanctuary with lights turned off and candles lit while singing Silent Night. When we read the Christmas story in that setting, we are tempted to think the world stood still that first Christmas, and everyone showed up for the birth of Jesus. We can forget that God sent some angels to rouse a few shepherds to go worship the king. Later, some guys from the east show up in Jerusalem looking for the newborn king, and nobody knows anything about his birth. More people missed his presence that Christmas than those who showed up. Later at his trial, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king? Pilate missed his answer, and in a twist of irony, ordered that the charge against Jesus be placed above him on the cross. King of the Jews. The crowds made fun of Jesus. What sort of king is this? Most people missed the very different reign he proclaimed. Our text today invites us not to look for signs of his presence and the might and power that we are often told is the blessing of empire. Instead, it warns that our king is present in places often overlooked and neglected sometimes even among the faithful. It says Christ is present when the hungry are fed, the thirsty are given drink, a stranger is welcomed, the sick are comforted, the naked are clothed, and prisoners are visited. What a shocking place for a king. What a surprising way to live in his reign. Thanks be to God. Christ May we be awed by the grace of your present reign among us. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Max Vincent, Senior Pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. For a free transcript of his sermon titled The Present King, Call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. Please send your gift to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We're always grateful for your help. And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. Visit us online anytime at dayone.org. I'm Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're pleased to have with us the Reverend Mac Dennis. 
senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Asheville, North Carolina. His message is titled, What Keeps You Up at Night? Be sure to join us next time on Day One. Day One preacher, Max Vincent, offers some final reflections on his sermon today, The Present King. And Max, you started your sermon by recalling your boyhood fascination with King Arthur, seeing Disney's The Sword in the Stone animated movie, and then reading T.H. White's classic, The Once and Future King. Arthur, legend has it, someday would return to take his throne again, and that concept in your mind got applied to Jesus. He was the king who came to earth, and after his death and resurrection ascended to heaven. And we good Christians are simply to wait for the king to return. But you make the excellent point that this text from Matthew 25 speaks about the presence of Christ the king here and now. He's not an absent king and his reign is not just a future possibility. What hope can we grab onto from that realization for our own lives now? About midway in the sermon, I reference an old sermon by John Wesley. Hmm. And when I read that text... Wesley is looking at this same passage and talks about when we engage in the kind of acts we hear of here in Matthew 25, Mm -hmm. we should anticipate, we should expect to encounter Christ in those acts. Mm. And I know for me, I talk about this a little bit in the sermon, There are times when I think of visiting the sick or those who are in prison as something I just, I have to do. But there are moments and times when I do those things, even out of a sense of duty. And then once I've done them, I just feel like I've had this moment of grace. Mm -hmm. I've had this moment where my life has been shaped more into the image of who God wants me to be Mm. because of this encounter. And I think, you know, it brings a moment of hope in my own life for Mm. more of those moments. Sure. But it can also bring a lot of uh, excitement and energy to some of the basic things all Christians are asked to do. Jesus enumerates six actions in this text, showing what separates the sheep from the goats, feeding the hungry, welcoming strangers, visiting prisoners, and so on. And you said, what we miss sometimes in this story is the shock. Both the sheep and the goats are shocked by the sentence the king has handed down to them. I suppose that's because we always fail to look for or see Jesus in those who are needy. You said, we don't serve these poor, unfortunate people to bring Christ to them but rather to encounter Christ within and through them. So how might this play out in the outreach ministries we undertake in our churches and in our communities? I think there's been a lot shared recently about some of our mission and compassion work in the the church. Mm. And the idea of sometimes in our outreach, we really miss the encounter with the person. Mm. 
you know, I had a friend who was very involved in mission work in foreign countries and had gone on several trips to Jamaica. Mm. And we were talking one day, and Michael shared, I think I've helped build six churches in Jamaica. Mm. And when I left this time, I wondered, are there just a lot of empty buildings sitting on hmm. a mountainside in Jamaica somewhere? Hmm. Is this what the people really need and what they're really asking for? Not that he was against houses of worship mm-hmm. or places together, but were we really asking what the needs are and what the, the people are really hoping for? And I think that's related to some of this surprise of encountering Christ in those we are serving, mm. um, to, to see them not just of recipients of what we have to offer, but as means of God's grace channeled to us. Mm. Max, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I think it's part of the core of our proclamation as Christians. Mm. It's born at the empty tomb on Easter. Christ is out there, loose in the world, and we should go and expect to encounter Christ. Max Vincent, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dalton. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.